play. play it. This is the Astro League Fantasy Football Podcast. League specific news, information, and stats with your obnoxious commissioner, Maddie C. So, welcome to the show, and wow, this is a great show. This is episode number 11. This is going to be the last conversational episode before the draft, because we are in draft week right now, and there's nothing much more important than what's going to go down on Sunday. We've also got a mock draft later in the week with Taylor, just in the lead up to the draft, and that's going to publish on Podcast Friday. But today's interview is with easily the league's most delusional owner. This interview is so bizarre, there's many references to events that either haven't happened or are so wildly exaggerated as to be modern day fishing stories in fantasy football. But there's an upside here. There's a bit of a, uh, a drinking game to play here. Every time my guest here says, Fitz, we're gonna have a drink from about the 15 minute mark onwards, you're gonna be in trouble. And it finishes with a bit of a rebuttal from one guy in the league that TC has had a shot at recently. So look, without further ado, let's introduce the man who introduced the chaos. This is the GM and owner of the Squazmongers, Tony Connor. This is the Astro League Fantasy Football Podcast. All right, so I'm here with TC. We are sitting in Western Creek at the moment at a pub, which is, I think, perfect. And it's it's rainy and freezing because it's that week in Canberra where it's uh, where it's not great. But uh, thanks for joining me, TC. It's really cool to, to hang out with my brother from another mother. Oh, yeah, thanks, buddy. Yeah, cheers for that one. Clink. Great to be here. So, mate, you're obviously not in Canberra these days. Tell us where you are. Um, in Perth. I've been in Perth for about the last year and a half. Yeah. So you've got to be glad to be back in Canberra at a time of year where the weather is so disgusting. Yeah, look, I mean, it's no better time to be in Canberra than... <laughs> late August. Yeah, in between the snow and the rain, it's great to be here. Now, mate, I don't know how many folks... Uh, I know there's obviously lots of us who are part of the football team who know you fairly well, and there's obviously been guys who've evolved into the league over time. But do you want to tell us a little bit about your life before Astro League and, uh, and how you, you came into the Astros? Uh, well, I started playing uh, football, I suppose, in, in year 12, and I um, started playing with a friend of mine, and I just rolled on through for, what, 13-odd odd years, and I met you and the rest of the guys through there, El Presidente for a little while there, yeah. and um, I think you made Timmy Kiermaier, what, in 2010 decided, which we started a fantasy league, and yeah. from there it's just grown and grown, and... You have way more time on your hands than I do, so... <laughs> this year. <laughs> <laughs> so you're leading the show for us. Yeah, it's um, there's so many of us guys who are part of the team originally, and now it's, it's great that it's branched out to be guys who, who aren't necessarily the football guys, but are sort of related to the family. So not everybody is aware of how everyone plugs in, mm-hmm. so it's, I think it's sort of good to go back down the old rabbit hole of how people came to be part of this, this weird, wacky 16... Uh, brother family that we're in. Yeah, I think what you started out, 12 teams? I think. Yeah, it's taken a few shapes. And, and I think and it was 12, and then we had a few people that weren't interested, and then we just cast them out wider, and um, I think Joel was the first one on board outside yeah. Outside the, the circle, and then... Oh, he joined day one, actually. He was, oh, did he? He was early on, yeah. Oh, yeah. there you go. Yeah, he was, he was the first one outside, and then uh, just Jackal threw in more people. Brendan came on board. We had a few ins and outs. Yeah, a lot of one-season guys over the time. I mean, we had, we had, we had Johnny in there for a few years. Well, <laughs> oh, yeah, Johnny. Jo- Johnny and Jerry's brother were in there, but you yep. know, it's good to get people outside that are actually active. Yeah, I think now, uh, of the 16 who are in now, it's the most engaged it's ever been, and that's there's kind of fun in that, that um, there's not a lot of easy wins on the calendar these days. I mean, apart from Ryan, I mean, no wins easy. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Everyone's having a shot at Ryan. I love this. If he ever listens to one of these, he's going to be so mad. Oh, oh, yeah, what can you say about Ryan, eh? He puts more time into this than anyone else, than more than you do. 
and he puts money into does. it. And he, and he just, puts money into it, yeah. And he can't come through with the goods. It's, <laughs> it's a great great story, great fairy tale. <laughs> so, mate, obviously you've been playing for a long time, but do you pick it up before you run into the NFL, or do you already run into the NFL as a league? And um, Which happened first, chicken or the egg? So I suppose back in, there wasn't a lot of coverage of the NFL back in the 90s. You had like maybe an hour show on the SBS, I think it was. Pretty well. Don Lane was doing his thing in the early 90s, but it wasn't until my, uh, my mate asked me to go along to a training session that I actually yeah. started to, to take an interest. Playing was the first sort of exposure, and then, then learning about the league itself came later? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, growing up in Canberra, like through the 80s, you know, there was the Raiders. Mm. So the Canberra Raiders and the Raiders. So I picked them up during the 80s, and obviously ah. they had a lot of popularity in the 80s, the Raiders did, and yeah. that's, you know, sort of... Just that association picked up the Raiders for me. I like that. that. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. This is how I end up as a kill fan in the AFL because I'm like Saints in the rugby league. So, no, yeah, there you go. Eh? So then the NFL is obviously hard to connect with for a long time. Yep. When did you finally really start to get access to enjoy um, your Raiders team? I think I started watching the Super Bowls. Uh, I think 2000 was the first time I watched the Super Bowl. Um, and then I ha- didn't miss a Super Bowl for, for a while. So once I started watching the Super Bowl, I became a bit more engaged I actually oh, yeah. played fantasy football, I think, in 2004 or 2005. Wow. When Dante Culpepper was a rookie. <laughs> um, so that was my first my first season of fantasy. That got me a bit more involved. And then, you know, took a hiatus. And then, you know, when, when this started off, you yeah. know, just kicked on from there. I think this league was a really good idea for a team that, you know, you, you played for the Astros for a lot of years, yeah? Yeah, uh, 12 odd years or something, 12, 13 wow. years. Uh, so, I mean, when the team was sort of running toward the end of its life cycle, it was really good to have this. But can you tell us a bit about the days? Like, I joined right after a whole bunch of really experienced guys exited and then there were some lean years. But can you tell us a bit about what the Astros were like through the glory days? Rah, rah. It was just, I suppose, just total dominance. I mean, you had, you had guys that were posted here with the embassy. Um, so you had guys who, were, who played high school and college football coming over here with the... Um, as diplomats, or there was a whole bunch of Marines that were on the team. Oh, so it was just, you know, completely dominant. But in New South Wales and then the ACT until, I think even 2005, I think, we had a four-peat. 2005 was the five-peat, but we dominated, but just lost in overtime. And then that's when numbers fell apart for us. Well, yeah, you can see numbers you, you came apart. on board, what, 2006 you came on? 2006 was my rookie season, yeah. and I was an immediate starter, which tells you about the wide receiver depth at, at the Astros by that point. Oh, we just needed a possession receiver that <laughs> would get his teeth knocked loose and just get back up. Are you kidding? I think I caught like 11 balls in the whole season in the possession receiver. <laughs> uh, but look, so we've covered a bit about your beginnings into the NFL and, um, and just kind of a bit about the Astros story uh, and a little bit about the Raiders. So then you find fantasy... Really early on, um, it's kind of a fleeting moment. But you were definitely part with Tim and I of, of trying to resurrect this league. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, you've had a pretty colourful history through the league. Do you want to tell us a few of your favourite stories about what it's been like to be in this league as a foundation member and, and some of the path? Well, obviously there's there's a conspiracy against me winning all the time. Um, <laughs> you know, so, somehow, I don't know how you rig it or how you do the draws, but it doesn't matter how many points I score some weeks, I'm always the second highest scorer. And I'm always against the guy that scores the most. Like, I don't know how you rig that, but somehow... Yeah, there's a big conspiracy. Oh. You don't know how much time and effort I put into making sure the league works against you. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> or a season where I score the most points and somehow the most points against me. And I, you know, it's, it's all a conspiracy. Somehow you put the, too much time into this to, to just to stitch me up. <laughs> it's all about the stitch-ups. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. 
So you've been part of this league since day dot. Mm-hmm. Is there a favourite couple of rivals that you like playing, or are there some really big um, moments that are, that stick out in the memory? I think there's people I like beating because I know it really annoys them. Um, yep. Jack was always fun to beat, but that's a pretty easy one um, because Jackal likes to think he knows what he's trying to do, but it's, it's just an easy beat for, for Jackal. But always knocking off Ryan because Ryan's just so intense oh. and so serious. Yeah. Knocking off you in the Connor Cup. Yep. Um, I mean, I don't do it often, but you know, you put way more time I, into this yeah. than I do. I feel every time you beat me, too. Like that, <laughs> it leaves a mark. <laughs> you know, it just hurts. I think I've, I faced Jerry a couple of times in the playoffs, which you know that's a, a playoff rivalry, but. It, I think just yeah. playing. Every, I think everyone's just fun to play, and it's good knowing that some people get a bit more hurt than others when you when you knock them off unexpectedly. All right, boss, settle down. Come on, mate. So the elephant in the room is the 2016 championship. You've done all you can to not talk about it yet, and I know you want to wax lyrical about it. Open mic night. Oh. <laughs> Tell us about the the uh, the parade to glory. Oh. <laughs> the parade to glory was actually a year late. I mean, as we were just discussing, 2015 was my year. That's the time I should have. Gone in, even when Jamal went out, I think week five or four or five. Yeah, I still put up good numbers to get through, and yeah, I had. A, I think my leanest week, I think, was in the first week of playoffs, and it knocked me out. It's a timing thing. I mean, I, I even you know if you if you track your scores through the playoffs, and even if you don't play and who you're up against, I think I outscored. I would have won the second week, and I would have won the championship game. But yeah, know, so I, off I had my a lean before, week. We were looking at some of these older rosters. And that 2015 roster, you just had, you had pass catches, and you were trying to muddle your way through that other running back mm-hmm. after Jamal Charles went down. But yeah. your team, on the whole, actually still performed pretty well, and you yeah, finished and with eight wins. Yeah, t- took, took a few risks through the season to replace Jamal, and when you have Rashad Jennings as your number one running back, you, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, you're that's, you're uh... definitely in trouble. Um, but yeah, ideal. <laughs> in 2016, I think you, know, you, you look through, and it's what the only team to run two tight ends in the championship game. Yeah, um, and and win, and you know, I had Jimmy and Jimmy Graham and Kelsey all season. I think majority of the time it was in my flex. I just, I just had no depth at, at any other position. So I think most weeks I had my two running backs, my two receivers, my two tight ends. And I'm I just, just in the background now pulling up that 2016 title winning you know, uh, roster, so Tony can uh, wax lyrical about it. I mean, just to, let him Tyra have a big Taylor, I think that was his first season after um, the Ravens at Buffalo and. I don't even think I started the season with him. I think it was a, I think that was a wave of kick up a few, um, a few weeks into it. Um, but you know, zero depth on my bench. I mean, not, you're kidding. Not, you had Steve Smith, Baltimore Ravens, scored <laughs> yeah. twenty on the bench on your championship run. Yeah, and he but still like he scored hundred and sixty points. He had a lean season. I mean, it was a monster score to put up. Uh, you know, even with zero points from my defense, I still, still put up hundred and sixty. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Um, that's unbelievable. It just, I think I lucked into that. I mean, everyone had had a good week that week. Um, everyone had a good season that season. But yeah, I think uh, looking back, I think just the tight ends is what covered what covered me. I think that was Kelsey's big breakout year. Um, and Jimmy, I think that was his first year in Seattle. Yep. Yeah. Um, definitely. So I, I took a gamble on Kelsey, and I, I needed a backup for Jimmy, and he just ended up being a starter. Came off. Came off, know. and you know, knocked off Jerry. You know. It's not often you lose 100 with 126, but you know you can't stop 160. You cannot. I mean, the amount of times a team has scored 120 and then lost in our league over the 10-year stretch. I mean, there's more points available now than there was, even though the league's deeper because yeah. we've just changed some scoring. But you know, 120 is a really formidable score. So to go into a game, post a score like that, and just be completely outclassed, yeah. and it wasn't even close. 
And how, so when you see the score rolling up there on the grand final day, it's the one appearance in the grand final, and then it's going so well. Talk us through how that feels. Um, I, I actually, from, from memory, I think Jerry took the lead early. I think he had a lot of early players in. Show the chart because it shows the. No, sort of no, score he doesn't. No. As the score ranks up, I just up dominated from the start. I mean, it's really the story. Of my team just dominates. <laughs> um, but, you know, this I, is so unfortunate that his team is dominating. We've got to listen to it. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm always of the opinion if you if you score 100 points, you know, you're, you're more likely to win than you're not. So once you hit that 100 and you, you you got a few players on the bench, you just the expectations go up. But I think Jerry had had a high scoring season that season too. Um, he just had a few players that yeah. that didn't put up in the final. And obviously, 2016 was my protest about how shit PPR is. <laughs> um, so yes, in, in spite of that, I decided I should just go out and win the championship. Um, just to prove, you know, how how terrible an introduction that scoring system was. So if uh, there was a vote tomorrow to vote out PPR, where do you land? Uh, I'm out. He's out. Take it out. All right, write this Take down. Take it out. We don't need to reward receivers that catch eight passes but only get 30 yards. It's ridiculous. They get more more bonuses than they do yards. It's it's ridiculous. So, I mean, we, we talked about this off mic too, is that something I've been trying to find ways to do in a fair way, is trying to introduce more scoring just to try, try and help the bench depth and to help the waivers depth to keep guys, uh, mm-hmm. more guys useful. Is that something where now, okay, there's more guys who are scoring well, points. I, 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 is the opposition about how, what it does to the pointy end? Where's the opposition I, I, coming? I, th- I think all, all, all the PPR has done is just absolutely increase the value of running backs. It's because you, you yeah. still get running backs that catch... We'll catch eight passes out of the backfield, and they get not a lot of yards, but they're still putting up, you know, seven, eight receiving points against a receiver that's catching three passes for 40 and only putting up six. It just doesn't add any value to receivers. It's just running backs. These running backs, I mean, McCaffrey's probably the best example we've got, and David Johnson a couple of years mm-hmm. ago where he had the 1,800. It really does superpower them up a bit. And, I mean, gee, it now you can see that in the draft too, that in the first round... Every year, ten or so are going pretty well. Ten, nine to ten are going in the first round every year. Yeah. But with the volatility of that position, those guys aren't always keeping their value there. And then we're finding subsequent players down the year become equally as valuable. Do you see the value in that? Um, I mean, running backs are always going to be our, our number one lean on. Now, <laughs> I just think it makes the gap too great between an elite and a midfield running back. I mean, we yep. and if you want to. Decrease that gap. Don't make your elite as elite. So I guess I've seen other leagues where they've been able to uh, superpower the tight end mm-hmm. to try and make that a more broad position. Yep. Uh, is that sort of what you're talking about? Hey, look, you know, maybe there's other ways to enhance the power of other positions. I mean, we so we, then... we increase the kicker, like we increase the, the yep. four point. Uh, is it the five point for over fifty? I think. Yeah, it is. there's a five point for yeah, a fifty I yard mean, kick. Yeah, so you supercharge a kicker, which you know you had. Um, you know, kickers that would always knock over, you know, two or three 50 yards in a game, and they're only worth three points. That's yeah. like, yeah, give, give them a couple of bonuses, that's fine. Um, you know, and, and quarterbacks, I mean, you always talk about you only want a four-point touchdown. Um, but, yeah, know, and our league has always been six. Al- We've always, always been not six. been standard. We've always been six. Yeah, so quarterbacks, obviously, the elite to the elites, but keeping that six, you know, that, that six-point touchdown... If you have someone like, you know, the god... Fitz Magic!
throwing three touchdowns, it's giving you 18. You know, and throwing three intercepts. <laughs> you know, he's only taken off six because it's only minus two. So you still get that, you know. So that, you're 12 up, man. You're 12 yeah, up. You're 12 up. You know, a touchdown and intercepts, you know, it's going to be worth four points rather than a two. So it's, yeah. especially, you know, by week quarterbacks, they're important. So it's like that scoring, I yeah. think, really helps fuel that slot. Whereas a bye week running back, if you've got someone that's only going to give you 50 yards rushing, 50 yards rushing and maybe 10 catching yards, you don't get the bon- don't get the bonus for PPR. You don't get that extra four, you know, four reception points. So, but it's important to. I think we need to rein that running back. Yeah, well, uh, and I think in every off season, we poll what we think we should do and try and take the majority lead. Uh, it's been pretty important to me. I think to have the the league as the whole sort of decide which direction they want to take it and, and provide the best options to try and help scoring along. Mm. Uh, and so, I mean, that's always something that we're going to review. And, and I love running backs. I've I taken running backs in the first, first two spots of the draft. I love running backs. You're all about the running backs, man. You know, you've got to have two strong running backs. And I think, I think I've always taken two in the first two rounds. I was going to ask you a bit about your draft preparation because, I mean, this is something I've asked pretty well everybody. And mm-hmm. it's probably no secret I... Spend all sorts of weird hours in my little man cave, you know, like a weird scientist yep. <laughs> doing a million mock drafts. But what's your approach to the draft? You're drafting pretty well in the middle this year. Um, yep. Do you want to share a little bit about what your approach is to, well, to preparing? I think I was in the middle last year too, and it did me absolutely no good. Um, but being on the flop, I think, is, is ideal. The, the, as we were talking about, the 8 9 or the 9 8 flop um, gives you that. You know, 15, 17 position buffer, and you yep. don't have to react as fast. But look, any decent running back that drops drops down to me is just mm. going to get snapped up. You know? Have you had a look at who you think is going to be available around that eight nine? Oh, have you got a bit of an expectation of who you think should be there? Um, I, I expect probably one or like maybe a quarterback or two receivers to go before I get there. So probably at top five, I'm hoping someone like yeah. you know, as you mentioned before, uh, DJ. Maybe there at that spot, and at the Texans, oh, I think he will, yeah. with the Sean taking all of the rushing pressure off him, um, but also giving that outlet for him, he'll be probably quite good value in that spot, provided he stays healthy. Well, um, we always see the mobile quarterback almost always helps the running back. Yeah, yeah, and you know, um, I, 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 Gurley's a bust this year for me. So if he's there, he's he's being passed on. Yeah, see you later. Um, <laughs> see you later. Um, I suppose it just depends on what people ahead of me do and what, what they're going to value because yeah. people will value running backs for, for their rushing yards, obviously. But this PPR sort of changes it a bit and you don't yeah. need a 1,000 yard rusher to get good running back points. You can go with a, I think we were talking about, you know, um, you know Jeremy Hill and um, and Genovani Bernard. You know, they they basically got the same stats and they were running back one and two and that PPR sort of helped out their stats because... I mean, Carson Palmer had no one else to throw to. Yeah, I think he had. Um, oh, it's probably Dalton by that stage yeah, too. Oh, sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. Dalton. I mean, he had nothing to throw to but his running backs. And I mean, Chubb. I mean, he, he might be in that spot. No, um, he might not be very attractive to people. Um, I think he'll definitely be there at that stage. You know, yeah. It's going to be maybe five running backs are gone, a quarterback, and yeah, one or two receivers. Yeah, maybe. Look, I, I think I think Scoob, I think Scoob is before me, so he'll take Gronk. Um, <laughs> Jack was before me, so that rules out Frank Gore. Um, so take those off the board straight away. Yeah, see you later. Those two are gone. <laughs> and I know round two, Tom Brady's gone because Scoob's will pick him up Scoob's in round two. <laughs> So, you know, it, uh, and then it's going to be... Julian Edelman on the way back in, in round three. You know? yeah. <laughs> I, I suppose we have this, um, 
you know, this this unknown about you know the the season length as well. So do we need to get people that'll put points up straight away yeah. or can we risk it on, you know, a first or second year running back that you know the slow burn. The yeah. slow burn, yeah. <laughs> well we 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 saw with Zeke when he came in, he, he didn't hit the ground running, he ended with the fury, yeah. but can we risk it if we have a shortened season? Yeah, and I guess that's a great big unknown is around the shortened season. Mm. Um I, I'm really glad that we got as much response on the survey about, well, how should we address this if this is going to be something that happens to what, what we consider our regular yeah. season and what we consider our postseason. Nice to have that all sorted out. Yeah. I think the impact of players week to week, we're seeing in the, um, in the baseball world where they're not in a bubble in the same way football's not going to be in a bubble. Yeah. Players are testing positive, players are being held out of games, and I think that's going to be a pretty dramatic impact on what yeah. we do this season. So, so yeah, yeah you're yeah. right. It, it throws question marks over everything. And, you know... We'll, 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 we'll throw in Fitz Magic And this one Fitz, Fitz, Fitz Magic We'll be starting for the Dolphins first game Because Tua's not ready So do we waste do we waste money on Tua And putting him on our bench Knowing that we he may not actually get yeah. Decent points on the board before um, Before the oh, season ends Does he see the field like, before week you know, 9, he, 10, Yeah 11. exactly like, What like, do we know he, he may not get until garbage time in the season um, Or then again he could be in week 3 or 4 because Fitz Magic could throw six intercepts in one day. <laughs> That's true. But uh, I did just hear in all of that. I, I'm hearing things you haven't said, but I'm, I'm perceptive and I'm picking up. So you're taking Fitz in the second round. Perfect. I've got yep, that. Absolutely. <laughs> Fitz Magic it might be my number one round. <laughs> Who knows? God only knows. The love affair continues. Maybe. Fitz Magic. The, you know, one rushing touchdown a, a year, so that adds to the stats. <laughs> yeah, he does, doesn't he? He just finds a way. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, so I think we covered the championship, and you've had a good wank about that, and uh, and a good, you know, everyone loves to see you off. It's magic boner. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I did want to get into is that there's some rivalries, right? Is there anyone you just want to stick a barb into while you've got the microphone? Just just get them stoked up that you know, you know, they should look out for you this year. Oh, look, I think everyone should look out for me. <laughs> I mean, it's it's I'm, I'm a hit and miss. It's magic type of player. I'll put up 130 <laughs> one one week and 70 the next. So just hope you get me on the down because <laughs> yeah. I always seem to get you about week eight or nine, and that's around the part of the season that's my birthday. Yeah, and either I'm crying on my birthday because mm. you beat me, or I've, I've beat you by a hundred and I'm laughing yeah. like an idiot. Somehow you always stitch me up where most of my buy players are, are there when you play me. So. Look, there is a formula to the schedule, Tony. I'll tell you, there's a formula. I'll have four players on a buy, and oh, look, I'm playing Matt this year. Oh, yeah, great, thanks. This is Taylor, GM of The Vinegar Strokes, and you're listening to the Astro League Fantasy Football Podcast. So, gee, this was a crazy 20 minutes with this guy, and I've really enjoyed hanging out with Tony. He's in our bag, just like me, and I think it just runs through the Connor jeans, but uh, even though we're not related, holy cow. But I'll tell you what. There is just this one lovely little shot here at the end from... Tony's had a few shots of people. Sorry, I want to introduce Mark, the GM of Going For Tour, who were Guns N' Roses last year, our champion. And uh, Tony had taken a shot at him about how he'd won the title. So I'm just going to leave the mic open to Mark to get his shot back in. And then we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. So some shade was thrown recently on my episode from one Anthony Connor. Let's all take a trip down memory road back to 2016. A young Riverside Renegades had finished the season as the top seed, enjoying their bye week, came up against a very, very lucky team in the Squazmongers, who, from memory, went in as a wildcard team, toppled me that week, 
robbing me of what should have been a wonderful victory, then went on to win that year. So I would say to one Anthony Connor, hello, Pod, this is Kettle. This is the Astro League Fantasy Football Podcast.